Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and don't worry, my enthusiasm from the revamped, renewed, rejuvenated TPOE 2.0 from last week has continued all through this week and continued into this jam-packed episode that's coming up. Thanks a lot for listening to last week's episode if you did uh, it was really nice to get back into it and see some people say some nice things like oh it's great to see you podcasting again Owen yes I really enjoyed it as well I really enjoyed it as well we had a lot of feedback to the underrated Irish band segment that I did with Lauren Murphy so I asked if anybody had a shout out for anything that we might have missed like what's their favorite underrated Irish album and I got a whole heap of replies on the old Twitter so I might go through them in a sec but just so you know coming up later we have an interview with Aidan Hanrady who runs the Bandcloud music email newsletter that's just reached number 400 so I wanted to talk to him about hitting that milestone after that an interview with Miles O'Reilly who's just released a brilliant album called Cocooning Heart you might know him as Arbutus Yarns brilliant filmmaker as well And then lastly, continuing on the theme from last week, we have new music from a couple of uh, great artists. So that's all coming up. But as I said, yeah, lots of replies to this message looking for uh, underrated Irish albums. I already gave uh, my one shout out last week to a band called Berkeley, Tommy McLaughlin's first band. I was also thinking the music of The Point of Everything, the theme music, is the immediate. I don't know if they quite qualify as underrated considering... Conor O'Brien went on to form Villagers and at Villagers apparently at Ivy Gardens a couple of weeks ago he was wearing an immediate t-shirt my ears pricked up my eyes pricked up when I saw this and I was just thinking of the possibilities to come could the immediate be back I always thought that they were a band destined for great things but anyway yeah a load of replies here so I'll try and get through them uh quite quickly but thanks a million to everybody who did message me about all of these and if you do want to get in touch with the show you can email the point of everything at gmail.com or slide into my dms at tpoe blog on twitter or just reply if you want to send voice messages you can do that too i quite like the idea of that going forward um i think it works quite well everybody knows how to do voice messages don't they like with whatsapp now so i think it's really nice and i think it works quite well on a podcast too so I mean, if, if you want to just voice message me out of the blue, I mean, by all means do. So uh, in reply to this tweet, Paul McDermott, who runs the great podcast to Here Knows When, Great Irish Albums Revisited, and who might know a thing or two about the topic, suggested these ones. Haves, Boa Howell, The Shanks, Brang, The Sewing Room, and Nico, Hunter Gatherer, I Dreamed I Was a Footstep in the Trail of a Murderer. All good shouts there. The independent record label from Galway, Rusted Rail, suggested Garden Tiger Moth by Kane141 from 2002. Ray Wingnut suggested The Cultural Coupon by Bangold22. He says this is a much ignored, brilliant and bonkers album out of Limrock. Dermot O'Donovan at Sport Rules suggested Leaving My Empire by the Cork band Fred. Alas, no more. He says it was a huge album for him at the time, such layers of sound and it got better with every listen. Yvonne the Otter suggests Second Level Crossing by Rollers Sparkers. She says it is amazing, though I think it is well-loved and appreciated in the scene, just woefully underplayed. She also suggested a compilation called Road Relish Roughage, 1997 to 2005, saying it's got a few dusty gems. So yeah, those were two new ones on me, so delighted to get that 
Miriam Walsh suggests the first two Oppenheimer albums, as well as another shout out for 22 Bands Cultural Coupon. She Was Coloured In by Solar Bears is the suggestion of Royal Yellow. Darren Keane, aka Mr. K, asks, is Check-In by The Chalets underrated, saying it's such a good album? He also suggests Music for Church Cleaners by Anya O'Dwyer, or The Things in the Room by Fixity, which he says is the best Irish album of the 21st century in his book. Jack Bluffy also backs up Music for Church Cleaners, saying it's underrated, and that Anya is one of Limerick and Ireland's biggest exports. Owen Dolan, who was on the show last year, a singer-songwriter from Galway, uh, suggested Another Life by Tomorrow's. He says it's a great album, definitely didn't get the exposure they deserved for an amazing record. Aidan McKelvey said that The Night Chorus by Tomorrow's is even better. Mike McGrath-Brown had a huge list of acts. Speculative Fiction, Deathly Words, Douth, S-T, the Manas ST, The Vinnie Club, Rocky for Record, Wife, Stoic, Debt, with an album called The Pain of Constant Living, Subordinate, with an album called Respect Existence, and I'll Eat Your Face, with an album called Fat Box Life Destroyer. Sometimes you have to think about which is the artist and which is the uh, title of the album. The band Kaplan said Legion of Two and their album Riffs is underrated. Bob Slay Bob says, We've Been Talking By Enemies is a horribly overlooked album. It's stunning start to finish. I miss them a lot. Danny Greenland, the independent neo-soul artist, says, I think my album is underrated because it's great. With a meme from the Father Ted episode. Triptych by The Hard Ground is the shout out by Davey Ryan. He says, Placemats and Second Cuts by Marlene Enright as well, which was nominated for the Choice Prize. So I don't know, is that quite underrated? Uh, he does add that he is biased as he played on both. So we'll let him off with that. Robo Cobra Quartet, who released a brilliant album this year. They're playing Another Love Story in August. They say that the No Spill Blood LP is pretty overlooked for how groundbreaking it was. Judge Chugi says Gently Gently by The Great Balloon Race. They're a great band from Cork back in the day, back about a decade ago, I suppose, at this stage, eight eight years ago or something like that. Paul G. Smith says, three off the top of my head, Boa Morte with Soon It Will Come Time to Face the World Outside, Twin Cranes with their album Spectrum Theatre Snakes, and David Kitt, The Night Saver. That was one that was controversially left off the Choice Prize uh, list the year it came out or the year after it came out and sparked a little bit of a minor furor. Paul also says Friday Syndromes Volumes 1, 2 and 3 by Sunken Fall. Simon, a promoter with Singular Artists in Dublin, says all the Simple Kid releases, which seems like a fair shout. Central Tones, a friendly label and management, says Catering for Headphones by Waiting Room, Future Kings of Spain self-titled album, Monochromes by I Am The Cosmos, and Super Migration by Solar Bear. So that's both Solar Bear albums which uh, have made it onto this list. Future Kings of Spain is a shout out from Golden Plex Stephen Byrne. Chris Coffey shouts out uh, Coping Mechanisms by Cy Schroeder, C. Schroeder, which is a gem. And he also says the three Boa Morte albums are all low-key wonders. Danny Greenland also says uh, Excursions by The Expert is amazing. John Loftus, who writes with Golden Pleck and hosts Sound from a Green World on 8 Radio, says that both Bleeding Heart Pigeons albums are underrated, as well as Hither Thither by A Wemper and Theology by Sinead O'Connor. Glenn Campbell says The Language of Everyday Life in Motion, 
Sundial Records says Curbdog's debut is underrated, as is Wilt with their album My Medicine. He adds that Woodstar had an amazing album called Life Sparks, and he also shouts out both Future Kings of Spain albums. Jack Bluffy is back to say Frog of Earth. Andy Wilson says Duck Egg Blue by Peter Delaney. Keith Manning just sent a link to a YouTube uh, video, the full EP of Connect Four Orchestra's Chisel to the Hip, which came out on Grey Slate Records in 2002. Anthony Kelly shouts out Marcata by the Minutes. John Bariton says Sunbear's album Sunbear is underrated. Andy Wilson again says Dark Matters by the David Nelligan thing. They were uh, based in Cork back around a decade ago as well. A guy called Jared, that's his Twitter, that's his Twitter name. Uh, he says Gorbachev can't start the machine. Hysteria with Corporate Crime Wave and High Brazil's The Monkey Pole are all underrated. Frank Geary says Coping Mechanisms by C. Schroeder. Donna McDade says Cold Toast. I don't know if that's a band or if it is actually just something that she might have forgotten about uh, at breakfast that day. 1212 says Earthquake Hair, Upper Volta, Unite Tribe and Enlokari. Sean Paul O'Callan says Roller Skate Skinny and Horse Drawn Wishes. Are Roller Skate Skinny underrated? Pat Kiernan says Simple Kid. Recidivist says Ultramontane's first album. Angel Nikeda says... There are lots, but one that deserves all the love is A Lazarus Soul, the D they put between the R and L, which came out a couple of years ago. To the Death of Fun by Cashier Number 9 is a corker, says Simon S. Frank Hughes says More Than Conquerors with their album Everything I've Learned, Bats, and their album The Sleep of Reason, and Jogging, Take Courage. All three may not get the fanfare or mass acclaim, but are top albums. Jack Bluffy is back for a third time to say the inevitable heel turn by Naive Ted. And I think that's all of the replies. I know that that was a lot, but hopefully you had a pen and paper and were taking notes or else you can just go back to my original tweet sent on Sunday evening and you can scroll through all of the replies and maybe get involved in a couple of fights in the replies. That's always welcome. Okay, now that we have that, that sorted those notes from last week's episode of The Point of Everything under wraps. First up is an interview with Aidan Hannity, who runs Bangcloud. It's an email newsletter that I've been subscribed to for years and years and years, and I've got loads of great recommendations from it. It's very basically Aidan listens to a load of music, he selects the good music, and he puts it in his newsletter and sends it out on a pretty regular weekly basis. Uh, He says Bandcloud is a weekly roundup of releases on Bandcamp and Soundcloud selected and delivered by Aiden and it's mostly house, techno, ambient and drone. So this is maybe some lesser known stuff. Maybe all of this stuff could be included in the underrated section. The latest newsletter number 400 features acts like Sylvia Castell, Michael Diamond, No Translation, The Discomancer, Block Del Sur, Internet Club, Cheladon, Frame, Arthur King, and a lot more. So I wanted to talk to Aidan about doing the newsletter, how he finds doing it, how he compiles it, whether he still enjoys doing it, and what's next for him as well. So I really enjoyed the chat. This is only a short little interview, so hopefully you will enjoy it as well, and you can sign up to Bangcloud. Go to bangcloud.substack.com if you want to do so. So here is Aidan on the Point of Everything podcast. Hey, 
did you think when you started eight and a half years ago like 2014 or something like that you that you'd still be doing bang cloud in 2022 honestly i don't think i had any idea how long i was going to do it um for one thing when i first sort of mooted the idea on twitter like uh, do you think this is something you might be into there were only a handful of people who signed up initially and then it kind of progressed gradually so I didn't think I didn't even think about the shelf life of it. And the other thing is, even the fact that there's a number on it, I think um that was something that happened by accident. Like I did I called the first email, like the first whatever, and then I just stuck a number on it. And then it wasn't something I could stop once I had continued to do it. So that wasn't something I had in mind either. It wasn't like I had a big number in mind. But uh if you told me then that I was st- still gonna be doing it now, I probably would have been surprised. <laughs> were there many other uh like email newsletters that like inspired you to start it that were influences i don't think so i just had a check um because in my mind google reader still existed back then but i just checked and it was actually 2013 when google reader stopped so as far as i can recall i was still reading some blogs i was still sort of going online for music and I don't really think there were that many newsletters. But a friend of mine, um, this is sort of my origin story, as it were, I just tweeted out some Bandcamp link and someone suggested you should do a, me- a newsletter. And I said, OK, why not? But I don't think there were any that I was following or aware of at the time. So, no, there was nothing really that. I think maybe there might have been some tiny letters at the time, but there weren't any specific music ones. Uh, so So I think I was kind of. I was just far, far, foraging my own path. Is that the right word? I don't know. Or, yeah, you get me. Uh, it was just something that I kind of thought, hang on, I'll do it this way. Hyperlink some music, write a few words about it. Uh, because at the time I was, I was blogging for Truants back then. I still am to a certain extent now, but um, that was something more regular. Whereas this, it was something I kind of wanted to put my own name to. And it was something that was away from a blog, as it were, because I didn't have to draw your attention to it. I didn't have to say here go look at this it was more this is in your inbox because you've asked for it so that was the sort of impetus behind it back then if that makes any sense rather than trying to force or drag people to it yeah you've kind of answered my next question as well like talking about why why you started it and i guess now has has it actually changed much now looking back on it like does the new one kind of follow the same um template i suppose as number one to an extent, um, I mean, sometimes I look back and I was a lot more pithy back then, whereas now I feel like I have to say something about everything, whereas back then it might have just been like, here's next from Andrew Weatherall. You know, you don't have to say much more than that. But over the years, I kind of experimented with different approaches. Like I used to have, when I used MailChimp for a while, what I did was I would take the artwork and put it beside the text um, and that was a fair bit of work then I went to when I went to Substack Substack allows you to embed things so I didn't have to do that and um, the artwork could just kind of pop up beside it ultimately it hasn't really changed much the only major change I suppose would be that I used to have the Bandcamp link, links at the top and the SoundCloud links at the bottom but then I stopped doing that because I noticed people were clicking one more than the other so I just sort of mixed them up in no particular order And then the other major change would be that just there are fewer SoundCloud links nowadays because SoundCloud isn't as good anymore, let's say. 
So it's almost almost exclusively about camp melee, but you know there are still the odd mixes that that pops in there, and it, I kind of have to feature it. It's in the name, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you find yourself looking at the stats more or less, like tinkering with it, like um, toying with, like, oh, I should be doing more of this. People are clicking on these links. I should be doing this, or do you, are you just kind of like this is just what you do? Uh, yeah, you see, I should be saying that I'm constantly looking at the analytics and I'm constantly refining what I do because people are not so much into, I don't know, abstract noise from Eastern Europe as they are, you know, <laughs> garage from London. But um, I just never really... So it's interesting. It's always interesting to see. But at the same time, it's never driven my approach because at the end of the day, people have signed up for it. They've signed up for it because, well, unless they don't know me, but ideally the the reason is they want to read about what I choose. Um, I'm not tailoring it for them. It's more they want to know what I like. So in that sense, I've never really let it be data-driven because then it wouldn't really be me. And so do you think of SoundCloud as just the music that you're into or, or, or are you thinking like this is highlighting music that might get ignored by other music publications or, or are those two both of the same coin i suppose they kind of are i mean obviously there is a lot of stuff that i like that is I, I won't say mainstream but that is more likely to get coverage elsewhere and sometimes i'll be listening to it and i'll be really enjoying it and then i'll see that it has a pitchfork feature or it's on ra or mixmag or whatever bigger site and i might like I, i've had occasions where i've I've written a blurb and then I've just taken it out because I don't think that they need me, as it were. Uh, you know, they're kind of doing just fine. They're getting the coverage that they need or deserve or require or whatever. Whereas if I can give space to someone else who's smaller and who's not necessarily going to get that kind of coverage, I won't say they deserve it more, but I just think it makes more sense for me to feature them. But at the same time, there are some things like sometimes I will feature something and it'll even show up like that if the SoundCloud link is a Mixmag premiere. So I, there is a bit of both. There's always there's always a bit of both. Um, but that is something that does influence whether or not I'll feature it or not. Yeah, whether or not I'll feature it. So tell me about how you go about compiling it. Like how many hours are involved? How much music are you not including in the newsletter? Like, I mean, are you just listening to music like all day? So I have to be honest, it has gone down a lot. Like I used to work in an office and I would basically sit on my own and listen, have my earphones in pretty much all day. Um, I also had a, a lengthy commute. So that was another two hours or so that I would be listening to music then. Then lockdown hit um, between the lack of commute and also the fact that I had children to, to look after during the working day. My listening did take a massive hit. Um, also, a lot of... A lot of the time I used to walk around listening to earphones and then I think it was a slight, I don't know if it was paranoia about being close to people who may or may not have COVID. Um, I found it much more difficult to walk around listening to music and earphones. Uh, so when I'm listening to things nowadays, it's more likely to be a podcast or an audiobook. Uh, so that that has all eaten into the time that I listen to music. So, so nowadays, there is a lot more, unfortunately, of skipping through things and flicking through things, especially when it comes to mixes. But I do spend a lot of time listening to music and I do dedicate a lot of time to trying to find what works and what doesn't. Um, 
the process generally will come from maybe either I'll get the Bandcamp notification email from a label or artist that I have previously bought something from. I'll stick it on my wish list and then I'll go back to it. Or someone will tweet about it or any number of different things. Go to my wish list, open 17 different tabs or however many um, and go through it when I have the time. There's a lot of music that I listen to that doesn't make it in there for a load of different reasons. It could be because I don't like it. It could be because it just doesn't fit. It could be because, let's say, I featured that artist too many times before. I mean, I there are people who put out music every month or every fortnight, and I'd love to feature every release they have. But going back to what I was saying about people who feature on bigger platforms, it's not fair if they're getting if they're featuring a backlight every two weeks, you know, that means that there's somebody out there who isn't because there is a finite amount of space. Uh, one of the things that does drive me is uh, if you ever get an email and there's so much in it that you have to click more to view entire email, that means that I've gone overboard and I don't like that. Like it must be nice as well knowing that artists, DJs, labels listen to it. Like you've had some doing special mixes for Bandcloud over the years as well. Like are, are those kind of the highlights for you? I don't know if there's any that you want to shout out. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's certainly nice. There was a time that I stopped doing them because I felt sort of guilty um, because I was asking artists to to do work essentially to provide labor and I wasn't able to really compensate them in any way other than my platform. I mean, I know that's a that's a kind of sticky subject for a lot of people, but that I just kind of went off it for a while. But people kept asking me if they could do them. And then if they, if they want to, and if they're approaching me, then who am I to say no? Uh, over the years, uh, I've had a fair few. Um, there are some that come to mind. One of my favorites is from De Leon. It was this sort of semi-mysterious artist who had a series of releases on this blank tape label called Ought. Um, they've since put out a few things on Mana, but they did a mix that was all Gamelan stuff that was really amazing. Um, there was a mix from James N. Murray, which was a companion piece to his album, um, uh, City of the Night, it was called, but he did, he did a mix that kind of went along with that that was really special. Um, what was the other one? There was one I wanted to mention. Uh, so Dan Letson, he had well, he had a blog. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's still running it, but it was called Gripper's Tips. And what he would do is he would rip these really weird out of print records um, and share them online or else if it was something that was more readily available, he would provide the links to it. Uh, but he made a mix for me that was entirely stuff that he had featured on his blog that I thought was really, really great. Um, lots of weird experimental music. Um, and then most recently, Robin Charlie, who is from Drada, she did a mix for me that was pretty weird. Uh, it was kind of quite... It was almost like hard house. It was really boshy stuff, which you might not expect from me, but she's put out a load of great releases. Well, not a load, only a couple. But she, the, the stuff that she put out, I really liked. So I just, I really respected her and wanted her to do whatever it was that she was into. Um, so even though it's not something on the music in the mix, might not be something I would normally feature. I was just really happy to let her do what she wanted, basically. So those would be the ones that come to mind. Do you still enjoy doing Bandcloud? Do you still like enjoy listening to all of the music and writing about it all as well? Yes. Um, sometimes I don't enjoy the writing aspect. Um, I mean, I feel like I have a finite amount of words in me and sometimes I end up repeating myself or I'll be using the same words to describe something. But at the same time, what drives me is that it doesn't really matter what I'm saying. What's important is that ultimately the, 
hyperlink is what's important. It's if you have an opportunity to hear the music and I'm just writing what I feel about it. And I definitely enjoy sharing it and it's going to sound really trite, but I really love it when someone says, oh, that thing that you shared was really good. I really like that. Um, obviously, if the artists themselves appreciate it, then that's a bonus too. But I guess it's it's almost like going on stage when you when you hit publish and then you kind of wait for the response. You know, it's kind of it's out there and you kind of see how people are going to engage with it if they do. Yeah, that that's that's always a nice feeling. So the fact that people are still engaged engaging with it is, you know, I couldn't really ask for more. It sounds like you're happy to keep on going to, well, to, I don't know why this phrase came in, to keep on trucking with uh with the World Bank <laughs> Cloud, yeah? You're you're gonna keep on going with it. Maybe not number five hundred in like two years' time, maybe. There, there, uh, to be honest, I mean I do have sort of an end number in mind. I won't say oh. more than that, but uh Yeah. So I I don't know. It's just it's as I mentioned children already. I have children. I have a life. Um, it does. It does take a lot of time, as I've probably hinted at. But uh, we'll see. I won't say any more than that. Wow! On that on that bombshell. Um, what do you want to do? The sales pitch. Where can people sign up and and everything? So you can sign up at bandcloud.substack.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at bandcloud and Instagram at bandcloud.news. The nutshell is. Music that I find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud, mostly ambient drone, house and techno, um, and anything that fits vaguely near those things. Cool. Nice one, man. Thanks a lot for chatting. Well, thanks for having me. Congratulations again to Aiden on hitting number 400 of the Bank Cloud email newsletter. Hopefully there's a lot more to come, but there was a little morsel in there if you were paying attention that kind of caught me unawares and maybe suggests, uh-oh, maybe there won't be another 400. Anyway, let's move on with the rest of the show. All together now is this weekend. Miles O'Reilly is going to be playing it. And so are a band called Thumper, who I interviewed last week. That's going to be coming up in full in a week or two uh but they did say that they've got some shows coming up this week so here's a little snippet of that interview of what you can expect i talked to ushin from the band thumper who are going to be playing all together now this weekend here's just a little bit of a taster which i felt i better put on uh, ahead of all together now we're playing sunday of all together now we're doing sunday of independence as well um we're doing are they the same weekend yeah you're doing the same day? Yes, sir. How? Wait. <laughs> I'm also going to have been at uh, all together now all weekend. So, uh. <laughs> okay. How, so you're playing early at all together now. I'm presuming we're on playing the early in independence and late all together now. We're playing eleven o'clock at all together now and six ish at indie. Wow. They're only about an hour and a half away, I think. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, both in Munster, yeah. I yeah. forgot there. Yeah. <laughs> wow, two festivals, one day. Thanks, Doshin, for that. And as I say, interview with Thumper is coming up on a future episode of The Point of Everything. It's a good lineup for All Together Now. I'm looking forward to going. I went the first year and I thought it was good. I didn't go the second year and had fierce FOMO, particularly about not getting to see Fontaine's DC. 
on the Friday. And then it was, as I was at work at my computer, I started seeing the tweets coming through of, oh, it sounds like there's a little bit of trouble getting to the campsite. And oh my goodness, hours and hours people were in the queue. I feel like everybody who has talked about all together now since then has referenced being stuck in a car for hours and hours and hours. So uh, it sounds like they've got that resolved this year, but I think people might still have uh, PTSD from that. It's the first one since 2019 as well. And it's a really, really good lineup. Starts with the altered hours, I think for me anyway, at about half six on the Friday night. Looking forward to seeing the likes of Self-Esteem, Gilliband. There's just a whole heap of Irish acts who are playing. Just even on Friday, looking at the lineup here in front of me for Friday, you've got Meltz, Toby Carr, Yankee, Alex Goff, Cormac Begley, Lazarus Soul, Keen Kavanagh, Maria Kelly, Alvaretti. They're all playing just on the Friday. On the Saturday, Soda Blonde, Mary Wallopers and Circa Richardson are all clashing. The Saturday is my birthday as well, by the way, if you see me wandering around aimlessly, if you want to say happy birthday to me. Just putting that out there. If you have cake with you, even better. Definitely say happy birthday. Sunday then, CMAT followed by Denise Chyla on the main stage from 5pm is going to be great. Even though CMAT clashes with John Francis Flynn, Jimmy Penguin is going to be playing at the same time elsewhere on the stage. I'm looking forward to checking out The Murder Capital as well. Not sure about their new song that they released last week, but I think live they'll still bring it. So yeah, it's a great lineup. And hopefully uh, if you're going, you'll have a good time and you won't be in your car any longer than you need to. And hopefully one act that you're going to check out as well is Miles O'Reilly. He's going to be playing over the weekend. He's been a busy man since lockdown hit. He released an album in 2020 called Cabin Lights Off, followed by My Mother's Star in 2021, two ambient albums. And he also did a collaboration with Ronan O'Snodig from Keela. Uh, that album is called Togama, which is absolutely brilliant. It's so good. And Miles is showing how prolific he is by releasing Cocooning Heart. That came out earlier this year and it was one of those that I missed while the podcast was on hiatus. So I have a whole list of albums in front of me of people that I want to talk to and Miles was near the top of the list. No, maybe I should say Miles was at the top of the list. (laughs) Uh, So he invited me to his gaff in Dublin and I had a really, really nice chat with him. He was on The Point of Everything, talking more about the film side of things back on TPOE 116. If you want to go back and check out that, that's kind of more about his journey into film from music. This interview that's coming up is more about his journey back into music from film. How he sold all of his uh, equipment and had to try and get it back when he realized that he'd be stuck inside for a long time due to, you know... So yeah, thanks to Miles O'Reilly for having me and doing the interview. Such a great guy and the music is brilliant as well. Definitely go seek out Cocooning Heart after you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. Here is Miles O'Reilly, who I talked to a couple of days after he had supported Oliver Cole at Whelan's on Saturday, the 16th of July. So just so you know, setting you up there for the first question, can you guess what I asked? Okay, this is uh, Miles O'Reilly.
you were playing a gig on Saturday, weren't you? Supporting Oliver Cole, Ollie Cole. Uh, how'd you How'd you get on? It was great. It was my first time playing on my own, playing music on my own in maybe twelve years. Um, I was crippled with nerves all day, um, like trying not to show it to anybody because I knew if I did show it, they'd just offer me loads of advice about how not to be nervous and make it even worse. So, so I just had to hold it back. But as soon as the show started, uh, I was possessed and just went for it. I didn't even play the songs I had imagined and rehearsed that I would perform. I um, launched into an improvisation that just made me really comfortable with the room. You know, um, it's it's funny when you're rehearsing on your own in a in a in a room environment in an acoustic environment. The you're you're inspired more by the sounds that are coming, I guess from acoustic sources but in a big venue like Whelan's all you can hear is the sound coming from large speakers so there's a different kind of inspiration happening in the room you know and so I really kind of I guess played to the speakers rather than the room were you surprised that you went into an improvised thing are you like oh what's happening now was it almost like the moment carries you rather than the other way around it was exactly that the moment was definitely carrying me um and as somebody said to me afterwards, geez, that was very brave of you to do that. But um, for me, it was the opposite. I was kind of hiding behind the inspiration, uh, not so I didn't have to actually play my structured song. Um, but it was it was far more enjoyable. And there were some people in the audience, I think, really enjoyed that. Um, I, I'm not I'm not sure everyone in the audience has heard my songs either. So, yeah, it was, it was a good thing to do. <laughs> I think I'll start every gig with a with a long improvisation. But what's the setup? I mean, we're talking now and you're surrounded by all of your musical equipment. Uh, I don't know how much you can actually explain without people seeing it, but I'm presuming most of this stuff was on stage with you, was it? Yes, most of this was. I've got um, the, the, the core of everything is a Moog synthesizer. And the greatest thing about the Moog synthesizer is that there's no computer processor in it. Every sound it makes, it's making from electricity and and moving through it like water. So what's coming out is also pure like water. There's no computer processing just turns everything into uh, ones and zeros and then back out into audio again. It's kind of like it's kind of like processed cheese, you know. So what I what I have with a Moog is brie. It's just like proper cheese. And then <laughs> I, try, I don't want it to sound cheesy, obviously. And then that and then that goes through more analog um, pedals, which um, kind of um, can affect the sound in ways um, that again doesn't dilute the water uh, it's just really pure analog signals um like octave octaves and um sampling them and splitting splitting the signals um uh, r- delays things like that which are all again just analog and not computer processed yeah so i had the, i had these machines with me in in Wheelands and they kind of surround me it's it's you know it's a pretty common image to see the synthesizer player with one hand on that synth and another hand on the other synth always and, looks know, cool yeah yeah and like i never thought i'd be that guy you know but um no it's fucking it's fucking great it's like flying a spaceship and so 
like you have your song saved as presets or something like that, but you just decided not to press play. You decided, oh, I'll just do this instead. Yes, for sure. I just wanted to be comfortable with myself, I guess, and doing some improvised scales was I've been I've been practicing a lot of scales essentially learning how to play piano actually and, and learning how to sing along with my favorite kind of scales which would be Indian Carnatic scales I really adore them and I'm hearing them more now in music that I like um, so yeah I think that was the way to go the rehearsed songs just seem right on the album that I made they're all six minutes maybe um, they're all very concise, first chorus, first chorus, and I wouldn't be used to doing that. And I, it was kind of a muscle that I had to exercise. But I think with my live shows, um, this, the songs will be somewhere in between those six-minute pop songs and uh, my ambient wanderings. Uh, they'll be somewhere in between that. Is that kind of the influence of Juno Falls and like your your previous music career, like that kind of uh, pop stuff? Is that st- that's still there on this album, and are you almost kind of exercising it? Exactly. You know what? I just felt like I should because I spent so long developing a songwriting craft, and I think craft would be the concise word it's like when you make a song you're really crafting it if it's a first chorus song and if it's got if it has an immediate chorus and of course if the if the lyrics are something that are universal that everybody can kind of lean into and apply to themselves the more they adopt that song but it's a craft and i I, it's a tool that i hadn't been using for 12 years um, especially my voice be the number one tool in that toolbox and I just thought it was time to actually do that to use my voice and not not for not for want of having to exercise that muscle but it was like I needed to also express a lot of things I needed to sing about a lot of things that have built up over the last 12 years and I find that singing about those things I have another, there's another level of learning um, how I feel, um, what is it inside me that needs ironing and sorting out and looking at and massaging. And and by singing about things uh, like trauma or loss or (laughs) what might seem like sad subjects, um, it's really cathartic and really helps me learn more about myself that that like uh, words words just can't explain so yeah but that's basically why i made an album of of crafted songs that i can sing did were you the singer songwriter in juno falls i'll show my ignorance there and just ask you (laughs) plainly I, 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 i don't know if you were or not yes um well we all kind of had a hand in it I'd be I'd be I'd be rude to say that we didn't. We all had a hand in it, but um, towards the end of Juno Falls, it was really just me in the band. Uh, the other two members, we had just all um, went our different ways. You know, I stupidly continued playing music um, under the name Juno Falls on my own, and that was a really stupid thing to do. I should have just. Back then, I should have just called myself Miles O'Reilly when when I when Shaky and Dara, who were the other two members, had left, or when we had all just parted ways. I just should have just called myself Miles O'Reilly. Mm. 
I guess a lot of people do that. You don't know when to kind of call it quits. Yeah. You know, you kind of go on a little too long. You keep the name and, and you don't change it or whatever. Yeah, and I was young and had some really bad advice from my record company, which was V2 Records. And I loved V2 Records and I spent almost what seems like a lifetime trying to trying to be close to that label and be on a label with my heroes, Elbow and, and Paul Weller and... There were other Irish acts on that label, um, Duke Special and Declan O'Rourke and and Jape. And um, yeah, we were all on that label that year that the label folded. Um, but also, they were giving me some really bad advice, like keep the name Juno Falls. Um, and, and and ringing my band members and going, do you, do you mind if Miles still uses Juno Falls? And my band members telling them to fuck off and then them calling me going no they're not happy about it Miles but we'll still go with Juno Falls is that alright you know <laughs> they're not happy no they're not happy but anyway I think it's a great idea <laughs> and, and and asking me to play songs that I didn't necessarily like like I would write jokey songs for the fun because they rhymed and they were jokey and they were funny and I did that in a band called Blowtooth where we wrote kind of sarcastic songs um, that did well and people love to laugh and singing along and uh, they wanted me to record all those songs instead of the the songs that actually meant something to me so it was a terrible point phase in my life did were, blowhorse were before yeah blowtooth were or blowtooth yeah they were a terrible name i know but um they were before juno falls but we were the same bunch of lads you know just friends making music you know? and so juno falls ends do you just stop Writing music, making music. Yeah, I stopped completely. I, I, um, <laughs> I forgot why I was playing music. I forgot why. Why did I want to get up on a stage and be the center of attention? I, I didn't have anything else to sing about. I had no like. I didn't read the paper. I didn't have any like strong political opinions. I had found the love of my life. Uh, I had all the friends I wanted in my life, so there was no really reason for me to go up and draw attention to myself, or to you know I had nothing to sing about. So every gig became more and more painful, and more and more like, why the hell am I doing this? And more, I became more and more anxious. And up until a point where I was in the other voices main stage, I think it was two thousand and eight, and I did such a terrible performance after the show. I smashed my guitar. I was like, that's it. You know, I smashed my guitar backstage. Thankfully, nobody saw me do that apart from my, my friend who was helping me with the gear. Because um, I'm not an aggressive person, you know. That, but, that's an angry smash of the guitar, yeah. not like a rock star smash of the guitar, no, I guess. It was an angry smash, yeah. It was my only guitar. Um, so and after that, it was just over. I was, no more. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and the, the kind of trauma... The, the trauma followed then for maybe a year or two years where I had not, I didn't know what the I wanted to do with my life um, until I saw there was there was a crazy collision of things that happened which in, told me that I need to start listening to music again and I need to start watching music I need to start going to gigs I need to start like refreshing my mind like why did you want to be a musician in the first place and that led directly into me becoming a filmmaker and shining a lens on my friends and as soon as I started doing that and and I and I and I picked the best of them to start with you know like I was contacting Lisa Hannigan saying do you mind if I turn up at a gig and film your gig in, in Vicar Street and they were like yeah sure Miles whatever um 
they, they didn't understand why I wanted to film them. You know, they they would they'd be more <laughs> they'd be more uh, inclined to think I wanted to open for them. You know, or, uh, so because everybody still knows you as a as musician. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 that just went on for um, that has been going on and will continue to go on for the rest of my life. I absolutely adore watching music and listening and being a, a super fan. You know, all those people at the front row with their phones out. And that's really essentially what I do professionally. Go to my favorite gigs and take out my camera and sit on my phone and just and film. Is it the opposite now, though? Are you, do you see yourself almost more as a musician? I mean, right now, just mm. after releasing a couple of albums over the mm. past couple of years, do you see yourself almost the opposite thing, that the filmmaking is kind of secondary at the moment? Yeah, again, an existential thing happened on two years ago, of course, when I started playing music again, and it it came like a torrent. It's like I'd been, it's like I'd been building up all the stuff that just came out during the lockdown and there was just inspiration after inspiration i remember when i was actively a musician 10 years previous it would take me i'd be playing for days until i hit on something that i liked you know and then i go okay that's a song in lockdown after 12 years 10 years not playing music uh every time i i played the played my keyboard or or effect ran on a pedal or decided to uh, sing something, make something up in the shower. Um, it was all good. I liked it all, and it, um, and still, still, it's two years now, and still, and anything I put my hand to, I immediately like. And I'm like, I have to actually stop because I can't keep putting out stuff because people aren't going to take me seriously. Um, so I've been waiting like every year. I've been putting something out. Um, and you wanted to be taken seriously. And I want to be taken seriously again. I mean, that's I get. I guess I just need I need I need to work and I'm just going to follow whatever makes me passionate. I want to I want to work. I want to be passionate about my work. I want to I want to love what I do. And it seemed like I'd spend so much time watching and listening to music. It it, it seems like I was you know like going to medical school or something. You know, it was like 10 years of training to finally um be a musician again but be informed by 10 years of having looked at and watched and learned from the best mm. you know and i guess now i feel totally sure about where i want to go musically and what what i want to sound like and what kind of feelings i want to evoke in people when they hear my music and um, so it's I feel, i'm totally comfortable with being a musician again uh, which is which is strange uh, in that I'm I'm in my forties, you know, and it's probably the wrong time in anyone's life to want to to want to start at the bottom again, you know. Uh, but I'm really really enjoying it, and I, I, there's been no complaints, and there's been no trolls <laughs> online telling me I'm shite. So it's really it's good, you know. And what about the filming side? Like, is is it almost reversed that you kind of are looking at the camera now and you're like, I don't want to pick it up. <laughs> There's part of me starting to think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to yeah I'll be honest with you after ten years of filming music there was something becoming less and less present in my films is that I was spending far less time observing the musician playing and putting a lot more emphasis on where they were playing the environment they were in uh, the audience. And uh, they're getting there, the backstage, which is all beautiful stuff to watch in films. But 
um, it almost feels like my films were moving further away from the music. Um, the music was becoming more and more just a soundtrack for another narrative. Whereas when I started filming music, I would spend like a healthy four minutes on Ronan O'Snudig's eyebrow, just just <laughs> looking at his eyebrow dance, and that was enough <laughs> for me. You know, when I was starting, the the cinematography wasn't great, like, but it would just be Lisa Hannigan's wrist as she's singing and what it's doing for two minutes, because that was the lava lamp. That was the that was the point where you could fixate on that and really see what how the energy was moving through her body and. I've been doing less of that. So I've been moving away from music. I think essentially I was becoming the filmmaker. I was becoming a real filmmaker. I was starting to think, well, maybe I should just go and make fiction films or maybe I should just go and direct, you know, like every other director does and make ads and do that. And and the more that was happening, the less I was actually enthusiastic about filming. So I'm absolutely delighted to be playing music again because it's, it's informing why I started observing and filming music in the first place. So it's it's kind of like the two need each other. Um, playing my playing music informs what I'm filming and how I'm filming, and uh, that it goes hand in hand. But I'm lucky that I have a Patreon where I have to make one film a month. Um, just and I have a I have a number of subscribers there that want to see one music film a month. And so I'm not going to stop doing that. So I'm 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 going to be outputting one. Doesn't matter how much of this performance and recording and writing I'm going to do. I'm also still going to be putting out one music film a month. So interesting times ahead, you know, where I'm kind of juggling the two. What artists have you been filming recently? Um, so I guess I'm really inspired by a couple of artists because there's something there's just something in what they do and something in their voice that resonates really deeply with me and it's really exciting i'm still essentially a, a music fan a sycophant <laughs> at times and the person i'm obsessing over at the moment is neve burry and uh, neve burry she's a folk singer that out of nowhere there's a brilliant um unaccompanied singing festival called Fela Russia Rua on Aaron Moore Island where everybody in the island gets a chance to sing their song um, all the islanders and guests to, of the festival and some special guests that are brought over the, for the festival sit in various rooms um, and pubs and back rooms and, and all take turns to sing unaccompanied um, songs and I was outside having a smoke and a drink with some friends and just from out of nowhere and um, Neve Burry was standing with us and just started singing and it was one of the most exciting times in the last 10 years because her voice was just incredible I think I think it's well it's also because I can't I can't hear any influences in her voice it's like it's like pure well water you know there's no orange flavor in there or <laughs> coca-cola flavor i'm like what what is that taste there is no taste what what's going on it's delicious her voice is just gorgeous so she, she's from iron moore is she uh she's actually a dub oh okay Neve Murray, she's a dub but i filmed i filmed her twice in the last two years um uh 
and they're the only things that exist of her work on YouTube. And she's, oh wow, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool, right? You know, if someone Google's you, it's just these two beautifully made things instead of like you know a hundred phone footage stuff that your man your auntie filmed when you're playing in that pub so it's really nice things and Brian McLean from You Vagabonds has produced her has produced her album and um, hopefully her album will be coming out very soon oh wow mm. great mm. it's yeah, a beautiful I, sounding album I was at a wedding uh, over the summer and uh, there, there was that thing where it was on the second day it was it was a family of like trad trad musicians you know like parents and uncles and stuff like that and then suddenly everybody just started singing their song you know there was a teenager who just started singing a song with his eyes closed and it was like everybody in the room just paying attention there's something like magical and totally different to any type of music that you go see at like Whelan's or or a festival or something isn't there yeah it really is and it's kind of um there's also a there's a kind of a group therapy in that and um because you're when you sing when you pick a song that's going to be your song, I mean, the lyrics of that song say a lot about you. And if you're around your family, it's like you've got your five minutes to tell your family how you feel and what you're going through, what kind of person you are, you know, what kind of questions are in your mind, you know, what are your ambitions. It can all be there in the in the song that you choose to sing them. So, you know, then your uncle takes a turn telling the room, you know, how he feels and what he's excited about, why he fell in love and all. Mm. It's, it's a gorgeous kind of group therapy session, you know, yeah. essentially. Yeah, really, uh, really nice experience to, yeah. to go to. Um, so if you weren't playing music, after Juno Falls and the years after Juno Falls, were you still writing at all? Were you like keeping a diary or anything like that? Or was that something that you had to rediscover as well? Um, uh, yeah, I totally had to rediscover that. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't keep an instrument. I gave them all away. I s- sadly gave all my lovely pedals and everything that I owned away. Um, do you remember who you gave them to? Yeah, did you I call do. them up uh, yeah, <laughs> in like April 2020? And yeah. you were like, remember that synthesizer I gave you? Can I have it back? I did, Martin Burns. You shouldn't have <laughs> sold those ten pedals I gave you. I thought I gave them to you because I thought you'd play them. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't mind. Yeah, it, it, yeah. The, the the lyrics thing really was twenty twenty. You know, with the with the trauma of of there was I've gone through a lot of things as well, having lost my mother and um, also. Just lost. There was a lot of loss in my life at that time. So just to be able to sing about those things and to voice them and and add melody to them, it kind of was a way of venting or massaging or getting rid of a, a lot of bottled stuff inside me. So lyrics came hand in hand with that. You know, were you surprised that that was what you wanted to sing about? Yeah, really surprised. Mm. Really surprised. It was just. Um, uh, and that, I mean, in that surprise, there's a cathartic release too, you know. Yeah. Again, like it's something I, I I would find it hard talking to you about those things now. It's just so much easier to sing about them. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's why a lot of people don't go around talking about how they feel about their parent dying because they just, it's, they have an inability to express such deep dark confusing emotions but when you sing about things it doesn't matter how poetic you are 
even if it's just if you even if you make up the language and but the intent is that you're singing about uh, a grief or or a sadness and uh, it can be it can just be the most give you the most intense relief and do you feel like you're kind of done with that now like the music that you're going to make moving forward do you still want to sing or do you want it to be like just improvised um music uh, or uh, 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 yeah, no, I'm definitely the album that I just released is a melancholy album. I must say it's melancholy, but in a really nice, happy um kind of comfortable way, I guess. It's like a pillow. I didn't write it to make myself sadder. I wrote it to make myself happier, you know, but they're deep, they're deep topics. Um, but I, I, the next album, just coming out of lockdown and having had the experience of playing with other people, the the next thing I want to do is just be in a room with my friends. Uh, I want to have rhythm. I've I've had a lot of fun playing with Ronan Asnudig and different rhythms, and I want to do all that now. I just want to, I, yeah, just be in a room with my friends and make noise and and create a, a an energy, and that's definitely where how the next album will evolve in that sense I, I don't think I'll ever do anything quite as melancholy or romantic uh, as the Cocooning Heart album again on that album that you released last year were you like just in charge of the music and he was in charge of the lyrics or was there a different working relationship there was it was kind of like in a sense i was in charge of the music and i was guiding very much guiding how long uh, the songs were where where passages of lyrics would come in and out um where the solo was, you know, uh, so producing, I guess, producing the songs. So I had a, had a good hand in it. I mean, I don't have any Irish, so lyrically, I, was, I definitely didn't want to input there. 
Yeah, I just trust that <laughs> Ronan's and Ronan's Irish. You know, he's great at coming up with sla- slang words. So I mean, there's a lot of Irish speakers who won't necessarily know what Ronan is singing about either. He's he's coming up. He's singing this slang like deep dialects from different parts of the country that he might have picked up. Uh, the extraordinary um, ability of moving on with the Irish language, like you know. Does it make you want to learn Irish? Have you started learning Irish or anything like that? Or are you, oh. able, are you able to sing along to the songs? Like I, 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 I'm able to sing along phonetically. I don't know what I'm singing, though. No. I am. I'm able to do back and focus at gigs, and it's quite fun. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to learn Irish. Um, I have an inability to learn languages, unfortunately. Um, I should know German. My mother was German. I just don't have a hang of that at all oh you didn't do, do didn't do any languages in no. leaving cert or anything like that no no i didn't do any languages in school my my big regret is not keeping on french after leaving cert i felt like i was oh. quite good at french yeah. and like just didn't keep it up but i can still like recite the first few lines of my uh or, or, oral or aural okay, yeah, uh yeah. test of french uh je m'appelle and j'ai 18 ans yeah. i'm 18 je, years old j'écoute musique avec yeah, mon yeah. ami moi j'adore <laughs> la musique et ma chambre <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, me too. Uh, I guess with languages, it's cool, isn't it? Because like we can listen, we might have learned languages and we might know like quite a lot of words, like hundreds of words. So when we hear some people speaking French, you can like, oh yeah, they're definitely talking about their dog or they're definitely talking about music that they listen to in their bedroom. But we can't say it, you know? So uh, I have that grasp, I think, of Irish and French and German, but that's about it. Did you play live shows with Ronan? Is it Ronan or Ronan? Uh, Ronan. 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 Yeah, we played. Uh, we've played since the album Torgamach came out a year ago. We've played about twenty live shows. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, and we've been really fortunate in that it's a good combination of stuff that the uh, various different arts councils from different counties have had us play. Uh, gigs for them so we've been very fortunate that they've been in theaters away from bars we've we haven't had to worry about ticket sales um so we're really we're it, it, it's a comfortable it, it's a comfortable thing we've got going on and i think for him keela is completely the opposite you know and um, booking venues and selling tickets and the the kind of the commercial yeah. side of things it's commercial like it, it's things, like almost yeah. talking about the record label earlier it's kind of the side of things you don't want to yeah. know about isn't it yeah it really is it really is and i mean that's also going forward with ambient music i can i can do that thing where uh, i can play in galleries and i can look for arts grants and i'm going to make a record in in the centre de cultural de irlandaise in january oh in, pa- in paris in paris oh. um where i'll also be making ambient music and so yeah I, I like to stay in that world i'm not too keen with touring um touring circuits uh, as as they exist in, in ireland and in europe you've kind of been been burned by them or you've already yeah, kind of done them totally seen it done that totally so in a sense like i am my own record label in that i can promote myself online with uh, with my following and that uh, um, my gigs definitely aren't conventional either they're going to be in art galleries and theaters and on top of on rooftops and you know yeah you mentioned the indian scales earlier that you you've been listening to practicing uh, where, where did that come from is that a recent discovery or is that something that you've always listened to it's pretty recent actually i went to india with martin hayes 
um, the fiddle player, the great fiddle player, mm. Martin Hayes. And we, we traveled to India. When, when, when was that? 2015. 2015. It was, I was five years filming music. And I got this opportunity to go to India with him and the late Dennis Cahill and a Matthew Noon, who was a, a Saurad player. What's um, a Saurad? It's kind of like a zitar, but it's half the size. Okay. Um, beautiful instrument. Saurad. Saurad, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's about the size of a guitar, actually. You know, zitar is like massive thing. It's like a cello. It's like half that. It's like a guitar. It's like a difference between a viola and a violin. <clears throat> so they, they kind of toured India very interestingly, uh, played with Indian musicians, thinking, ah, yeah, can, it's pretty similar. Like Try, Trying to improvise. Yeah, and, trying to improvise yeah. with them. And the Indian musicians think very mathematically about music, and Irish musicians just kind of uh, listen. You know, they, they listen to each other, and that's how they learn. Uh, so there was a bit of a conflict there. But as soon as... I'd spent so much time, a month over there with them listening to, um, trying to really observe how they were fitting into Indian music and kind of thinking, you know, what coming up with ideas why it wasn't working. You know, I guess trying to understand the music myself so that I knew where to point the lens and I knew where the friction was. Um, So coming out of that... I started on the way home editing the first five minutes and it was a beautiful Carnatic scale sung by five girls in a tiny room in a music college called Bratvani Music College in Chennai. And I just heard their voices in the distance and I I went up this staircase and down this hallway and I was looking for these beautiful voices singing this scale, Carnatic scale. And I found them in a room and I let myself into the room and I just started filming them. And they didn't mind me. I think they knew I was there in the school, but they didn't mind me filming them. And I'd started editing that piece on the airplane coming home. And as soon as I arrived home uh, 24 hours later, I was in a coma in Cork, in a hospital in Cork. I had this terrible infection um, that got out of hand and got into my skull cavity. It was like a sepsis. Um, and I had to be put into a, a coma and on a ventilator. And I, so I was breathing with assisted breathing in a hospital in Cork, literally 24 hours later. Um, but in that state, and that's a whole story. We could go on about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll interject here to say you're on Miriam Callahan, and you, she kind of focused on the, on the health side of yeah, things. So if people want to that. hear more about that side of things, uh, there's you can listen back to the podcast yes. uh, from a couple of weeks ago with Miriam. Yeah, for Miriam was really good, and we spoke about that in depth, and it was lovely. But in, in that experience, in my coma, I kept hearing the Carnatic scales. I wow. kept hearing those girls singing. So you're uh, kind of conscious. Yeah. Like you can remember. I can remember wow, like exactly weird. the hallucinations so I was having in my coma. And even my wife was saying, no, Miles, you can't because the doctor says you can't. Like the doctors say you weren't like they say all you were experiencing was nothing. And I'm like, I'm like, Aideen, no, <laughs> all this shit happened. You, can't, you cannot believe the stuff. Actually, some of the hallucinations were really visual, too, but all accompanied by these scales. And so when I came out of my coma, it's almost like uh, 
I, I had been to Bradvani College for three years and learned my chromatic scales. I was obsessed with them. And I started hearing the scales in like Amelda May songs and Radiohead songs. And, and I guess I never, re I, I guess I started looking for, for those scales in all the music I was filming too, you know. And definitely the older music is in Ireland, the further you go back, the more the scales exist. And you can hear a lot of, and those scales in the songs of Eve Agamons or John Francis Flynn, because they're literally reaching back in time and taking some of those 400 years old songs and bringing them into now. So I've been really chasing a lot of that. And then it was just such a relief in lockdown to have a moog and to be able to create them myself and sing them, you know. Uh, and a lot of the the two ambient albums I've released since 2020 um, uh, specifically harbor a lot of those scales as well and the moods and the feelings within those scales there's just something so human uh about ancient ancient music you know um that i think we've kind of f uh forgotten in popular culture yeah you, know? you hear about like music and indian like i always think anyway of the beatles and stuff were you thinking of the beatles when you were there like oh my god like we're experiencing this in 2015 imagine what it must have been like in yeah in the 1960s yeah exactly imagine their joy when they went over mm. there and they met with the who was he again oh damn i forgot his name but they met with the guru and ravi was it ravi shankar ravi shankar. And, ravi and a bunch of others <laughs> but yeah yeah and so they brought ravi shankar over and george harrison formed a friendship with him and then of course george harrison made an album and ravi appeared on it and i think ravi appeared on it but they you know that evidently that music was fantastic when it was mixed with the kind of west western influences when they when the two met but i i just think it was that people saw a connection to deep history and maybe saw a connection there's thousands of ancestors in in that music you know uh it can be spiritual it's almost spiritual to think about it did you watch the beatles film Peter uh, Jackson made? I haven't gone there yet. You know, it's really the listening to f friends who are musicians who I trust and have musical opinions about things, who I listen to often and I trust their musical opinions about things. I've been getting the real concentrated, condensed <laughs> opinions about that film that I'm like, oh, really? Did the Beatles work like that? Wow, cool. <laughs> it's like, oh, they just, they made up all their lyrics phonetically? Holy shit. You know, that's mind-blowing to hear that from a friend. Hey, Miles, the Beatles made up all their lyrics phonetically first and then they figured out what the lyrics were, you know? And just learning, I've been learning all these pieces of information from people, so um, it's keeping me happy enough that I haven't gone and ind indulged in the in the actual film but I know I will there'll be a moment mm. I'll be stuck in a hospital again soon <laughs> and I, <laughs> I could stick it on then there's another pandemic coming I'll put it on then uh, did you do the homework that I, that I sent you about um, music past present and future did you think about this yeah okay so this is a new thing that I'll try on the podcast and see how long I go before I actually forget that it's a thing that I want to keep doing going forward just uh, I was just talking to Lauren Murphy about uh, for for a recent episode of the podcast talking about like underrated bands and I feel like in a way all Irish music is a bit underrated so you know this is a way of kind of shining a bit of light on some Irish bands from the past maybe someone you want to give a shout out to the present and the future so what what's your Irish band of the uh, past that you want to talk about? Irish artist of the past and this will sound crazy but it was uh, Brian Kennedy 
Like oh, the Brian Kennedy. <laughs> put that put that message in a bottle and drive the car around the world. If anybody uh, listens to Brian Kennedy's album War of Words, uh, I challenge you <laughs> to not think it's absolutely fucking brilliant. Why, really? It's one of the most brilliant albums that's huh. ever been made. He's someone that I'd have written off. I know because I I went up to him on the street not so long ago, and I was like, Brian. I had to introduce myself, and I was like, Brian, like, why don't you do another album like War of Words? I mean, surely if you did an album like that, then you'd want to make another like that. I mean, I know pop songs are great, and you know, cabaret and showmanship, and I know you love all that, and you embrace all that, but I, I didn't use so many words, right? But he went... Uh, he went, ah, oh, that, uh, that was the producer. That wasn't me. That was the producer. So, you know, he made me sing it that way, and he, he made the music sound like that. And I was like, what? So this pr- producer, Tim Freeze Green, uh, was the mastermind behind this record. And it's an unbelievable album. It's got Brian Kennedy, War of Words. Uh, the songs are unbelievable. Wow, I, still, okay. I still think they're incredible. <laughs> uh, and it's just one of the lost albums of our time. And even, like, Funny thing is, the A&R man who signed that album just coincidentally was the A&R man who signed me to V2 a long time oh, ago. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. So he was used to signing bands that, uh, that albums that got lost. <laughs> 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 yeah, coincidence. Uh, what's the current band that you're excited about or current act who you're excited about or artist? Well, it's you know, it's got to be John Francis Flynn. I ran an open mic in Body and Soul Festival kind of open mic stage it wasn't even a stage it was just a microphone stand in the woods and John Francis was one of the, I invited people from the audience to come up and he came up and he was just a teenager and short hair and he was one of the most shyest people I'd ever ever um, see, saw in front of a microphone he just he whispered into it we had to turn the microphone up so much you know that it couldn't go up anymore <laughs> and the more he heard his voice the more he backed away from it he was so quiet and so meek I think he was very used to like playing whistle in, in or playing instruments in, in outfits and kind of being in the background so I kind of wanted him to sing a few songs and he was like what do I sing I was like, well what songs do you like what do you know and he's like oh, I, I like John Martin I was like oh do you know a John Martin song? Sing a fucking John Martin song. And he did, you know. And then just to see him come back every year. And getting then, bigger. And getting bigger <laughs> yeah. and bigger and literally growing yeah, bigger. Yeah, like, and, and his voice up. getting bigger and his confidence. And it's just, I'm just so impressed by him now because it's like he grew, but he's got all the humbleness that he had back then, except he's just able to turn on and be john and he's also there's very little ego in there you know so which is reflected in the people he chooses to work with and the variety of people he chooses to play with and he's never putting himself above them and they're always inspiring it's always so however how evident it is that uh, uh ross cheney inspires him you know um there's a lot of there's a lot of um there's a lot of good that that man's going to do in the world. Mm, and it sounds like he's doing like exactly what he wants to do as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly what he wants to do. He's not going to, he only got his confidence from figuring out what he wants to do. You know, it's not, other than like, there's so many acts that are the other way around. They, they'll get up in station, they'll fucking shout about everything and they'll scream and they really don't know why they're doing it. Like, <laughs> you know? And he's, he was like, no, I need to know exactly what the fuck I want to say <laughs> in my head before I sing about it, you know? And so I just love him. He's fantastic. 
and our, our artist act band of the future you mentioned Neve um, yeah. Burry earlier well Neve Burry I mean that's just so, that's she's the one that's really heavy in my mind right that's now that's a brand new that's a new name on me like I'm yeah. looking forward to checking her out yeah Neve Neve Burry and it's Burry as in like B-U-R-Y um, she's she, she's fabulous she's one of the best female singers in our country her her technical ability is stupendous like i think i haven't heard a, a singer who has that much um control uh, in a long time maybe lisa hannigan would have had like a lot of control over her voice and how delicate it can be like a really delicate vo- violin player when well, neve has that um but she's she it's it, it, it but her own unique identity is very present. I mean, if you just heard her sing for a couple of seconds, you'd know it was her. Um, so she, uh, thankfully, because I love her voice so much, thankfully, she sung on one of the songs in my Cooling Heart. Uh, oh, record. okay. She's on the song Shine, where she sings Shine along with me. And so I'm very, very proud to ha- have her sing on that. But she's just finished an album with Brian McLean, like I said. And uh, Brian, it's one of the first albums that Brian has produced. I think Brian's going to go on and produce yeah. a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, everything he turns his his voice and his hand too. He just seems to be amazing. It's just amazing. Just like Anamika as yeah, well. Like I know yeah. he has a hand in her kind of music too, and she's unbelievable as well. Yeah, she, he really helped her. He really helps give her, I think, the courage. You know, she sees him be so courageous, and then and, and he really inspires courage in her. And he's such a young fella. Um, you know, he really is. He's got the courage of somebody who's played for 50 years. He's got the courage of somebody like that. He's got the courage of his heroes, Andy Irvine, you know. He's like Andy Irvine, except he's only 20-something. It's unbelievable. Still in his 20s. Oh, my yeah, God. I know, still in his 20s. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, finally, what about you? What have, what have you got in the works uh, coming up over the next few weeks, years, months? Um, well... It's it's difficult to say because in the creative world, I just like to think about what I'm working on the pre- in the present. Um, I'm I'm working on another film at the moment about what makes people happy. Um, I'm, I'm doing a load of interviews with peop- the people of Dublin um, because they're most accessible living in Dublin <laughs> about what makes them happy, um, and it's going to be an ambient kind of piece um just i don't know if it's gonna be 10 minutes 15 minutes and uh, we'll see but it's i i just want it to lift people's hearts and make people cry with happiness oh. <laughs> i just want i just want to torture people that's all <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that's a current project and then i have um i have a bunch more gigs to be doing I really want to play gigs. And if any musicians out there are listening to this, I, I will open for you. Please let me open <laughs> for you. It's oh, just he, just, he just wants to come and film us, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> no, no, now he, wants, now he wants to open for you. Well, I'll bring my phone. I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll shoot some stories for you. <laughs> Do you want to shout out the festivals you're playing as well? You're doing uh, yeah, all together I'm doing now. all together now at the end of this month, um, which will be an ambient set. It's going to be a really chill out ambient set on the Global Roots stage at four o'clock on Saturday. And then I'm playing with Ronan Osnudig and myself. We're going to do another really chilled ambient set of the uh, songs from our album, Togamar. We're going to play that at another love story all together now. 
Did I say all together now first? Yeah, all together now was first. The yeah, first and one, another love and story. And then another love story. Is the, yeah, is I the always get them confused as well. They got A and L's in them. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to be fun. And then uh, I guess my only place now where I would shout about the stuff I'm doing is on Instagram. So if anyone wants to check out any other th- anything else, just come and stay tuned to my Instagram. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for inviting me into your home, into your home studio. Uh, amazing looking around and congrats on cocooning heart. Oh, thank you. And thanks. Great to have you here. <laughs> thank you. This has been an eye-opener. Going crazy thinking of what to do I asked a friend to lend me a move And kind he responded Made a space up in the attic for my head to Miles O'Reilly for that we heard a couple of bits of music during that chat first off you heard Early Morning Sun by Miles and then in the middle it was Togma from Ronan O'Snodig and Miles and then lastly just fading into my tones that was Cocooning Heart 
of Miles O'Reilly's album of the same name. So as I say, go check out Cocooning Heart. MilesO'Reilly.bandcamp.com It came out at the end of June. I think you'll really like it. Lastly, as if you didn't get enough names of new artists or underrated artists or just names in general on this podcast, we have some new music for you now. Coming up first is Bree Jean, a harpist from Sligo who has just released the second single from her forthcoming debut album called Bree Jean. You can check it out on bridgine.bandcamp.com. She's got a great uh, image to go along with this, taken by the photographer Steve Rogers, of her covered in like a huge flowing crown of flowers. Uh, it's really, really striking. Bridgine is also going to be playing at All Together Now over the weekend. She's going to be playing on the Friday. And she might also be doing something else later in the weekend as well. What could it be? What could it be? Uh, I also have another couple of dates if you want to check her out. She's at the Cayley Picnic at the Fla in Mullingar on Wednesday the 3rd of August. On Thursday the 11th of August, she's doing Whelan's in Dublin. Uh, she's at the Milwaukee Irish Festival in the US of A in August 18th to 21st. Go Bucks, go Bucks. Fwynnaf Festival on the 17th of September and she's at the Creative Connections Fest in Sitges in Spain on the 27th to 30th of September as well. Some fun dates in there, isn't it? So here is Brigine to introduce her brand new track out today. Brigine.bandcamp.com if you want to check out more. It's called Hideaway and it's so good. Features violin from Claire Sands. Brian Dillon is on keys and production. Jake Curran is on electric guitar. Paul Leonard is on drums. And Jack Selby-Smith is on bass. Here is Brie Jean. Hey, my name is Brie Jean. I'm a harpist and singer from County Sligo. And this is my brand new single called Hideaway. And it's about me drifting away into my creative space in my safe zone in my little studio. And I hope you enjoy. Thank you.
Hideaway by Brie Jean and next up it is Eddie Reynolds aka TR1 who released an album called From the Studio Of last week I think it's great you can check it out on tr11.bangdamp.com so that's spelled out t-r-o-n-e and then the number one dot bangdamp.com got it okay here's Eddie Reynolds to introduce the track Stay Offline which was my pick I could have picked a couple of them to play on the point of everything but I went with this one it's six minutes long he's got a couple of eight minute tracks an almost 10 minute track as well so there's plenty to uh, dig into on the album I really enjoy it I think TR1 has put out so much good music so check out his discography as well there there there's just so much to discover you can get it all on his Bandcamp page here is Eddie TR1 to introduce Stay Offline yeah this track Initially started as me just playing around with the Korg Mini Log, this powerful little machine furnace. Um, and from there, I kind of built um, the groove in the MBC around it, um, plenty of swing and the rest of it. Pretty proud of it. Baseline wise, probably the most uh, catchy baseline I've done, I suppose, in my 10 15 years producing. A lot of the, the string kind of chord sounds are VDX reface and it'll be a layered chord with a JP Jupiter Boutique. And in the Yamaha TG500, kind of gives it that uh, choir of vice lead almost. Um, I kind of use that a lot through the album actually. Yeah, I'm actually just standing in my spare room here in my gaff, like where I recorded most of the, the album like over the last two years. And to, to get it out to where it is now, and that people are enjoying it and loving it, I'm delighted. So I'd just like to say thank you to everybody. And this is Stay Offline.
Okay, that was TR1 with Stay Offline from his album from the studio of thanks to Brigine and TR1 for sending the voice notes and letting me play the music on the show. If you're an artist and you want to feature on the show, get in contact with me at the point of everything.gmail.com or TPOE blog on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back with a new show next week. You might see me wandering around all together now with a microphone in hand. If you want to stop and chat with me, that would be much appreciated. Okay? Okay. Until then, have a great time. If you're going to all together now, go check out Miles O'Reilly's album Cocooning Heart and sign up to Bandcloud as well. All right? Okay. See you next week. (laughs) 